And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning, turn to two portions of Scripture. First, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and then at Matthew chapter 24. We're starting a new series called The End Times, The End Times, and I want to talk to you today about living in dangerous and difficult days. How many of you recognize these days, these days are different? They're dangerous or difficult. It's about four months ago that somebody called me and the coronavirus was just beginning to be in all the headlines here in the States. And this person asked me, they said, Pastor Terrell, do you think we're now in Revelation chapter 6? And about verses 6, 7, and 8, we're told that the pale horse and rider are released and the pale horse and rider go forth and they actually kill one-fourth of the earth's population. Pastor, is that where we are? Is that where we are on God's prophetic timeline? And I thought for a minute, and I said, well, you know, I'm not a prophetic, prophetic scholar, but I don't think we're in Revelation chapter 6, because that's in the middle of the Great Tribulation, and we're not in the Great Tribulation yet. I know things are not easy, and I, think, I know things are difficult and hard, but we're not quite yet there. I think that we're probably over in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in Matthew chapter 24. And let me just start off by reading from these two chapters and, and just sharing a bit with you. Paul says, but know this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, but know this in the last days. Everybody say last days. Somebody asked, when did the last days start? I suggest to you they started at least by the day of Pentecost because Peter got up and says, Joel prophesied in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Okay, so they considered that the last days. Peter looked for the soon return of Jesus Christ in his lifetime. The apostle Paul did as well, and so we can as well. Okay, he says, now in the last days, perilous times will come. Savage and difficult and harsh and dangerous and painful and fierce and grievous and hard to deal with times are going to come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Everybody look at me. Does anybody know somebody that loves themselves? Anybody know a narcissist? Men will be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money. Does anybody know somebody that loves money? Boasters, proud, blasphemers. You know, a blasphemer is somebody who will, will allow slanderous words to come out of their mouth toward God, toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people can't talk without taking God's name in vain. Blasphemer, slanderous words coming out about the Holy Spirit. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Nothing is sacred to some people. Verse 3, unloving, unforgiving. Everybody say unforgiving. You know, that's probably one of the things that all of us trip over at times because in this world at some point in time your desires and your thoughts and your plans are going to come into contradiction with somebody else's thoughts somebody else's plans somebody else's way of thinking and sometimes there can be friction and sometimes there's conflict and sometimes we get hurt and if you've never been hurt just just wait it's coming sometimes we get hurt and at that point in time when we get hurt sometimes we get angry it's more comfortable to feel angry when you're hurt than it is to, 
to feel not angry because when you feel angry, you feel like you're in control. But I want to suggest to you that you're not really in control. You get angry and you get bitter and some people, bless their hearts, they, they, they get angry and they get bitter and they hold that anger and that bitterness forever and ever and ever. And some just become crotchety old men and crotchety old women. But you don't have to be that way. You see, we can forgive even as God in Christ forgave us. We don't forgive other people because they deserve to be forgiven. We don't forgive other people because they're wonderful people. We forgive because we deserve to be set free of the tyranny of what that person has done to me. I deserve. I figured that out a long time ago. You know, life is way too short than to go through life with a long list of, of people that you hate. Because when I begin to hate another man, I become his slave. I never escape his tyrannical grasp on my mind. Life's way too short to carry a list of people I resent or people I've got bitterness, I've got unfulfilled revenge toward. And there's some people, sadly, Paul says, Timothy, in the last days, some people are going to be unforgiving. They don't want to be reconciled. They don't want there to be healing. They'd rather hold on to that anger. Here's the problem, folks. You can hold on to a negative emotion, whether it be hatred or unforgiveness or whatever it is. But at some point in time, that negative emotion is going to get turned inward and it's going to become despair and depression in your own life. There, listen, there are millions of people across the globe today who don't understand why they're despairing. They do not know why they've got depression in their life. And it's because they've held on to things. They've held on to grudges. They've had a vengeful attitude. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. He says, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, thus saith the Lord. Listen, Listen, God knows how to settle the score. Yeah, pastor, but you don't know what this person did to me. Let me assure you, God knows what they did. And if they don't repent, God says you're going to reap what you sow and you don't want to be in their shoes and you need to let God settle the score. We've got to let God balance the scales. We've got to let God fight the battles because the battle is not mine and yours. The battle is the Lord's. Hallelujah. But in the last days, some men are going to be unforgiving and some people are going to be slanderers. A slanderer is somebody that defames other people by telling things about them that aren't true or telling half-truths or misrepresenting the truth. Dear ones, you know, I love the access we've got to news today when you need information, but I hate all the slander. I hate all the half-truths that are on the internet today. It's just a sign that we're in the end days. Men will be slanderers without self-control. Brutal. That means cruel. Despisers of good and traitors. In other words, people aren't going to think twice about betraying their friends. People may be nice to your face, but bam, behind your back. Or online. He says that's a sign of the we're in the end times. People are going to be traitors, betrayers of friends. They're going to be headstrong. They're going to be haughty, puffed up with pride. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Are we having a good time yet? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Having a form, oh, the church is okay. Gospel music might be okay, 
but I've got a form of godliness. I just don't want the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me that allows me to come to his altar. I don't want to trust the shed blood of Christ. Oh, you don't need that stuff. Come on, don't you know everybody's going to go to heaven? Don't you know that, that, that God's such a God of love and such a God of mercy that everybody makes it? I'm sorry. Jesus said there's a way that looks good to man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Hell is a real place. God didn't create hell for people. He created the hell for the devil and his angels. He doesn't want anybody to perish. But people who don't go to heaven, it's because they try to pay for their own sins. People who don't make it to heaven, it's because they don't trust the shed blood of Christ as a full payment for their sins. They're religious. They may even go to church occasionally. They got a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And Paul says, Timothy, from these kind of people, I want you to turn away. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew, the 24th chapter. Jesus is talking here about the end of times. Remember the lady asked me, are we living in Revelation chapter 6? And I said, no, we're living in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're living in Matthew 24, I believe. Matthew 20, 24, verse 3. Now as he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Now why would Jesus say that? It's because it's easy to be deceived okay see that no one deceives you for many will come in my name know that they're going to use the name of jesus he says many are going to come in my name saying i am the christ and they will deceive many Jesus said the very first sign of the end of the age is there's going to be a proliferation of false messiahs and cults. There's going to be a proliferation. Have you ever known somebody that got caught up in a cult? I once pastored a man who'd been involved in a cult. And man, his life had been a nightmare. NBC News tells us that there are 8 million Americans today who are involved in a cult. You say, what's a cult? A cult is simply a religious organization that has departed from the doctrines of the Bible and from the doctrines of historic Christianity. Oh, they may name the name of Christ, but that doesn't mean they serve Jesus as King and Lord and Master of their lives. Oh, they may say some of the right things, but that doesn't mean that they follow through and they live the right things. This cult, this man was a part of. They said all the right things. They presented themselves as Christians, but they stole money. They would get loans from small business administrations for businesses that they started. And then they would escape in the middle of the night. When he spoke up against it, he got beaten time and time and time again. Finally, they beat him and left him in the basement of a, of a home in Tekoa, Georgia. They would set up shop and be in a place six months to a year. They would get people's trust. They would, they, would, they, they, they would borrow money, all the money they could, and then they'd leave in the middle of the night. And one night they beat this, this man senseless. He said blood was running all over him. He was tied up in a chair in the basement of this house. And they beat him, beat him, beat him. And they left him. Four days went by before somebody found him. He was dehydrated. He was in the hospital for three weeks. 
And then I got the great privilege as a young pastor to pastor this man named Tim. Thank God that Jesus binds up the brokenhearted. Set, thank God that Jesus heals and cleanses and makes free. And it didn't happen overnight. But we used to have a, a, a Sunday night Bible study that Tim attended. And I noticed in worship, Tim would begin crying. And he would cry the whole night long. Didn't matter, matter what I was teaching on. He would, he'd open his Bible and he would look, but he would have a box of Kleenex because he'd just have tears running down his eyes. And that went on for two years. The man was just crying. He was so full of pain. He was so full of hurt. Thank God that he had a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that though he was lied to and he was abused, thank God that he said, I'm going to live according to the word of God, whether anybody else does or not. Jesus said that in the last days, there's going to be false messiahs and there's going to be cults. Not only that, he says, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars and see that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. He says, nation is going to rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. If you just Google how many wars are there in the United States today, like I did yesterday, what you'll learn is that there are over 10 active wars across the world and there are 40 armed conflicts going on today and and the result of that is that hundreds of thousands of innocent people are getting killed and getting displaced and are in poverty today because of man's inhumanity to man you see war has there ever been a time that you've not heard about wars since you've been alive It's a sign of the end of the age. Jesus said, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, but he says, see that you are not troubled. Now, that's important. See that you are not troubled. It's important that you and I make up our mind that no matter what's going on, no matter how difficult the stuff presented on the news is, no, no matter how dark the days seem to be, I'm not going to let my heart be troubled because I can look up because I know that my redemption draweth nigh. I know that Jesus is the glory and he's the lifter of my head and he's working in my heart to willing to do of his good pleasure hallelujah i said hallelujah when a storm's coming from mexico up through the gulf and it comes this way and we have heavy rain bands what do you say hallelujah glory to god jesus said another sign of the end times he says there's going to be famines well all these wars produce famines that's what's happened in Somalia. Uh, you, you, you go to, to, the, to the southern part of Somalia and you, you'll find that because of the civil war there, that three million people have been displaced. Again, Google it. The internet told me yesterday that this week that 100,000 people could starve to death. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Here in America, a land of plenty, even under COVID-19 restrictions, you can still drive by McDonald's and get something to eat. 100,000 people will starve to death. 300,000 people are, are, are classified in the 
starvation classification. Oh, they've got a little bit to eat, but they're malnourished. They don't have what they need. And it's not because food's not being taken there. You know, the UN and, and UNICEF and, and CARE and all kinds of groups are taking in food, but the warlords are stealing it. So there's just a lack of justice. See, in the last days, there's going to be a lack of justice. There's going to be injustice. And he says there's going to be pestilences. Well, what's a pestilence? It's a plague. It's a pandemic. It's COVID-19. And earthquakes in various places. If you go to the U.S. Geological website, you'll learn. I, 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 here, there were six major earthquakes in the world in the last 30 days. I'm talking about they were all 4.5 magnitude or greater Terrible, terrible, terrible things. Now, you may or may not have heard, but this weekend, somebody tried to burn Freedom Church down. An arsonist, an arsonist broke a window, and I don't know exactly where it is. I talked to Pastor Larry Perry last night to make sure they were okay. An arsonist broke a window, and they, they put accelerant all over the carpet, and they lit it on fire. Thank God it was put out. Thank God they can have church there today. Larry's told me, he said, the, the FBI and the, every kind of, any, any organization that's got initials, they were all there. And they were concerned because one year ago yesterday, there was another church here in Tallahassee that somebody tried to burn down. What's this all about? <laughs> it's the last days. The devil hates the message of the cross. The devil hates the blood of Christ. The devil hates the proclamation of the resurrection. The devil hates the Holy Ghost. But I'll tell you something. You might be able to incarcerate people. You might be able to arrest people. But you cannot arrest and incarcerate the word of God. The word of God is not bound. And heaven and earth will pass away. But this word will never pass away. Hallelujah. You can burn the building. We'll go down to a school and rent it. I know how to do that. I did that for a 11 years. I know how to have church in a school. You, you, you may, I mean, the church is not 2300 Old Bainbridge Road. It's not this brook, bricks and mortar. Thank God for this campus. But the church is you. You've been called out of darkness. You've been brought into the kingdom of God's dear son. You've got the one who is the glory and the lifter of your head living inside of you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. What do we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's try that again. What do we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. Glory to God. He's the glory and the lifter of our head. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. We're not looking to man to solve our problems. We're looking unto Jesus. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. You know, I'm going to go in a little different direction than I did in the first service. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's given instruction about coming to the Lord's table. And I want to I bring this to you in this context of talking about the last days. 
Paul says, now in giving, this is verse 17, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. He says, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you came to come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Now, listen to that. He says, you're not coming together. When you're coming to church, you're not coming together for the better. You're coming for the worst. How many of you know that's not what you want to do? See, this is the same bunch that over in chapter 14, he says, if you do anything in church, let it be for edifying. Let it be for building up. Let it be for for, for helping people, for blessing people, not tearing them down. He says, when you come together, you don't come together for for the better, but for the worse. Verse 18, for first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. He says, I I hear there are divisions among you. You're not all on the same page. We know there are divisions because in chapter 1 of this epistle, he says, some of you say, I am of Paul and I am of of Apollos. Some of you say, I follow Peter. Some of you say, no, I follow Christ. Was Paul crucified for you? Was Peter or Apollos crucified? No, 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 no. He goes on and says, I thank my God I didn't baptize any of you. Well, I did baptize one family, but I can't think of anybody else. I didn't baptize you because I don't want you to say that you're of the church of Paul. I'm not about creating the church of Paul. This is not the church of Terrell. It's not the church of Zach. It's not the church of Donnie or Scott. (laughs) This is not the church of Matteo as much as we love Matteo. This is not the church of Janet as much as we love Janet. It's not the church of Gary as much as we love Gary. This is a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. But the Corinthians had had these factions. They had these divisions in the church. He says, for there must also be factions among you. And watch this. There must be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. What does that mean? He says, hey, there's got to be differences among you. He says, and the only good that can come out of that is when the smoke settles, when the dust settles, when everything's said and done, the people that are really following Jesus are going to be apparent, and those that were off into error are going to be apparent too. He says, there's got to be factions among you that those that are approved from God might be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What's he talking about there? Well, dear ones, in the first century, they didn't pick up their communion when they walked into the, to the building. It wasn't provided for them. When they got together, it was always in the context of a love feast or a covered dish supper. How many of you like covered dish suppers? Yeah, I like that. Well, they would all bring their covered dish supper, but they would bring their own dinner and they didn't share it with other people. And as soon as they arrived, some would say, I'm hungry, let's eat. They didn't wait for a general prayer. It wasn't one of these places where the church was providing the, the meat and the beverages and the, and, and, the, and, the, and the paper goods and everybody was just going to bring some chicken or bring some, 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 some pork ribs or bring some coleslaw or potato salad or whatever it is they wanted to bring or field peas. I like field peas. Those are good. They, each eat, they just brought their own. And, and some people, man, they had, they had steak and caviar and they had seafood and, oh, it smelled so good. And, and some people, see, there were a lot of poor people in the church. In fact, l- listen to a, a note from Jack Hayford about the church at Corinth. He says, the church at Corinth was made up largely of the poorer classes of people, including slaves. 
And apparently the wealthier members, unwilling to share their food, took the supper ahead of others and shamed those who had nothing. What they would do is here they'd all bring their own dinner on the ground. And instead of the church, when, they, when, they, when it came to celebrating communion, they would just eat their own food and call it communion. And some people had a whole lot to eat and some people didn't even have a peanut butter sandwich. And some people didn't have two saltines and some people didn't have anything. And he says, when you get to church, some of you are already eating and you're burping and some of you brought a bunch of wine and you're drunk. He says, verse 22, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you, do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? Now listen to that. You shame those who have nothing. He says, some of you that got some stuff, you're shaming the members who don't have anything. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Then he goes on. And over in, starting in verses 26 and following, he really says, he says, listen, when you come to the table of the Lord, you need to judge yourself. You need to judge yourself. You need to look at your own heart and ask yourself, am I walking in love towards other people? Am I walking in pride towards other people? Am I walking in unforgiveness for other people? Am I, in, am I like those guys are acting as Paul's told Timothy would happen in the last days? How's my heart attitude? Everybody look at me. Everybody open up both ears. And I hesitate to even say this because I, I think that I could be under, misunderstood. I, I, I hesitate to say this because somebody will get offended and somebody's not going to understand my heart or where I'm coming from and they're going to write me a nasty letter. Well, you can send it. Somebody will read it. My heart was broken. Over the last week and a half to watch the events unfolding in Minneapolis to see a rogue police officer putting his knee on the neck of a prisoner even if the prisoner had resisted he had three other officers right there they could put him in the back of a police car didn't have to put his knee on the back of the man's neck for eight minutes and cut off the flow of blood and oxygen where it killed him I've talked to several police officers and former officers, and I've asked them, I said, is that kosher? Is that the way you do things? And to a man, they've all said, no, we were taught you don't touch somebody's neck. You don't touch their head unless your life's in danger. And then it's not always justified. It says you just don't do that thing. And I realize that it, it has been taught. I imagine it's going to get changed in America before too long. My heart just broke. I watched that video again and again. I just felt so helpless on the inside. And I said, Jesus, this is just going to further, this is going to create a racial divide in America that we don't need. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We need to be strong together. And then I just began thinking about it. And I, you know, guys, if you'll study history, if you'll study the Great Depression of started in 1929, 1930, 1931, the first people that are hurt when there's an economic recession and or depression are the minorities. You say, why is that? It's because they live on the margins more than people in the majority. 
they have less. And when they lose a job, it's not long before they're hurting big time. Because I was watching those videos and then I was watching the Black Lives Matter marches and then I was watching some of them and I don't think these were Black Lives Matter people, but some people became anarchist. Antifa followers, they began burning and looting and destroying and such destruction. And I'm thinking, well, I know I've got some white friends that are going to watch this and they're going to think that's what Black Lives Matter is all about. And what it actually, actually what happened, and, I, and, I, and I've heard others say this now, is that Black Lives Matter said, okay, we're going we're gonna to march. It's going to be a peaceful protest like Dr. Martin Luther King taught us to do. And then there were other groups that came in and they just took advantage of it. And they began plundering and looting and burning. That stuff makes you mad when you watch it. And you're thinking, where's the justice? And I'm asking myself, well, the justice system is going to, there will be due process with this rogue officer. Thank God that most police officers are not like that. But there will be a due process. But then I begin to understand the despair and the hurt and the pain that was underneath that for our black brothers and sisters. You know, most of us, White people, we've never lived in a culture or society where we've been the minority. The only time I've been a minority is a couple of times that I visited Haiti. And when I was in Haiti, I couldn't get out and walk the streets or go shopping. I couldn't go. To, I wanted to go to the iron market in Port, in, in Port-au-Prince, but I couldn't go to the iron market. That's, that was said, it won't be safe for you. You're the wrong color. I certainly experienced in South America. I serve on the board of a church and some orphanages down in Lima, Peru with Pastor Robert Berger. And it used to be, now we do our, our, our meetings over the phone or by Zoom, but it used to be that I, I, I traveled to Peru every year. I've probably been down there 30 times. First couple of times I went down there, they assigned an armed guard that was with me 24-7. I couldn't go shopping. I couldn't go to the store. Because the Shiny Path Gorillas were, were very, very active and they wanted, to, they wanted to kidnap people that looked like me. I couldn't go to the banyo. I couldn't go to the restroom without that guy checking things out first and me standing right there and holding his pistol in his hand. I felt like a prisoner. I think about the three times I've been to Northwest Africa. Going over with Bruce McDonald. That country is 98% Islamic, 1% Christian, 1% animist. We're there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know, I can't walk the streets. I can't walk the streets. I can't get out and go shopping. I can't get any exercise. All I can do is go back to the room I'm staying in and do push-ups. Maybe do some jumping jacks. I took a jump rope with me one year. Because I'm the wrong color. But I can fly out of that and I can come home, but we've got black brothers and sisters who some people say, well, they're afforded all the rights and privileges that we are, yeah, on paper, but it doesn't always come out that way. It's harder for a black person to get a job. I prayed with and cried 
with black members over the years in Illinois and in Virginia and here. Because it's just, it's really not fair. But it's true. I've never lived in a neighborhood that would disqualify me from going to the bank and getting a loan. But there's some zip codes that bankers are not going to give loans to because they know there's a greater default rate. I've never been penalized because of the color of my skin or my address as to whether or not I could get along. But these things do happen. And dear ones, all I'm saying is that we just got to love each other. We got to act like Jesus did. You know, Jesus stood up for the hurting. The church at Corinth, thank God for them, but they were a divided church. See, we don't want evangel to be in a divided church. We don't want to be a divided people. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. And love is more than just, hey, how are you? Well, I know we can't give hugs or handshakes right now. But, but, but love is, is a couple, it's, 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 it's accepting other people. It's taking an interest in other people. It's being quick to forgive and not stereotype other people. It's being quick to respect other people. Every, see, even a dog knows when you respect them. Seriously. Even an old dog knows when you accept them. I think about Mike and E. Brooks. Mike and E. Brooks are missionaries that we support in Indonesia. They're a black family. They've been here before, but they, they haven't had a furlough in a long time and haven't been here in a while. It's been four, five, six years maybe. Mike is a pilot. He flew in the Air Force, and he flew for Mission Aviation Fellowship. And I knew Mike. I met him at CBN in graduate school many years ago, and I knew that Mike had offers by all the major airlines because they would love to get a minority. They'd love to get a black man who's a pilot to come and work for them because it, it amps up their minority hiring quotas. But Mike said, no, I love God and God has called me to serve the world. So he's flown with Mission Aviation Fellowship and they've raised their children around the world. And here they are, they're, they're in Indonesia today, that's where they were when they sent two of their sons to the United States to go to college. Talked to Eve about it. I said, Eve, what was it like? What was it like sending your kids to the U.S. and the kids changing cultures and changing countries? She said, Pastor, she says, the scariest thing in my life. She says, I had to tell my boys. I said, boys, people can't see your hearts. They're going to see the color of your skin. And boys, whatever you do, don't wear a hoodie. And if you wear a hoodie because it's cold, make sure when you go in a building that you take the hood down. Because you're going to scare some white people. And boys, if you get around a law enforcement officer, make sure that you say yes, sir, and no, sir, and you show respect to them. And boys, when you're driving your car, don't be speeding around. Don't give anybody a reason to stop you. Boys, just be careful. And she says, every day, I have to get on my face and pray that my boys won't be mistaken for hoodlums, that they won't be mistaken. For people that are doing wrong things. 
And I, I don't have all the answers. I don't have any, hardly many answers to all this whole thing. And like I say, you know, you, you can disagree with me if you want to, but I'm just telling you, we got to love people. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says, He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with the Lord your God, to do justly, to let justice roll down like a mighty river. As far as you're concerned and what you're involved in, you do the right thing. You do the right thing, whether anybody's watching or not, because there's a God that watches and he rewards openly. You do justly and you love mercy and you walk humbly with the Lord, your God. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. I want you to open the, the top lid, the little piece of clear cellophane that's on top of your, your cup. Has everyone been served? Okay. Well, we'll get anybody else need to be served? Here, there, right back here, Mike, this way. Norm, here it is. Just take the cellophane off the top. And when you do that, if you take out the piece of bread. Paul says that when Jesus had given thanks, he broke us. So, Lord, we thank you for your broken body for us. And we thank you that you make us members of your body. And said, take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Thank you, Jesus. Then if you would just start peeling back very slowly and very carefully so it doesn't spill on you, start peeling back the cover to the juice. Everybody getting their juice open? Anybody need help? Hallelujah. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant and my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of of me. Let's drink together. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The brothers are coming and they're going to collect. They're going to collect these empty containers. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Lord God, we come to this table of victory. And God, we declare victory today. God, we declare victory in relationships. God, we declare victory for the black community and the white community and the Hispanic community and the Asian community. God, we proclaim victory today, the victory of the cross, the victory of the empty grave, 
the victory of the resurrection, the victory of the word of God and the victory of the blood of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, saints, we look forward one day to the rapture of the church. I think that's the next thing that's going to happen. The trumpet of God is going to sound and the voice of the archangel is going to be heard and those that are alive and remain are going to join those that are already dead. They're going to rise to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord and we comfort one another with these words. Then there will be a seven-year great tribulation. The last three and a half years will be worse than the first three and a half because Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet will be revealed. Then there's going to be the battle of Armageddon. All the nations of the earth are going to go to the Middle East. And as they try to attack Israel, they're going to be destroyed. Then Jesus is going to come back on a cloud. And every eye is going to see him. With the rapture, it's like a thief in the night. But then every eye is going to see him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He's coming back. There's going to be a thousand-year millennial reign. The old devil's going to be released for a season, but then he's going to be incapacitated and put into a lake of fire. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. There's going to be a new Jerusalem, 1,400 miles square that's going to come and be placed on the earth. What do we do? We're living in the last days. I'll tell you what we do. We occupy till he comes back. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon was asked, what would you do if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? He said, I'd go out and plant a tree. He says, I'm going to occupy till he comes back. I'm going to do business. I'm not going to be sad. I'm not going to be depressed. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be looking down, but I'm going to be looking up because my redemption draws nigh. He's the glory. Jesus is the glory and the, and the lifter of our heart and of our soul. Hallelujah. Going back to the Old Testament, we find that David and the, and the pilgrims journeying to Jerusalem and coming up over the mountains. And they said, I look unto the mountain which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. See, our help doesn't come from our culture. Our help doesn't come from our society. Our help doesn't come even from our government sometimes. Our helper comes from the Lord, who's the maker of heaven and earth, who has sent the helper to live inside you and me, the precious Holy Ghost. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand to our feet. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. 
And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.